The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. In order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God, so stand firm in it. So again, Peter, knowing that many of the Christians that he's writing to are facing persecution uh, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, knowing that immense persecution is coming, um, Peter pens this letter uh, encouraging Christians to stand firm in the gospel. Yeah, trials are coming. It's going to be hard. There's going to be death. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be a lot of uncomfortable situations, but stand firm in the gospel because really that's all we have. The gospel is all we really have that we can tether ourselves to, and so Peter is encouraging these Christians to stand firm in the gospel. So so far we've talked about the importance of remembering your salvation and surrendering in real faith, walking in sanctification, and growing in faith. Then we talked about the hard stuff of what real faith, sanctification, and Christian maturity looks like. It looks like living for the glory of God over your own desires and freedoms. God's will is always priority. That's what it looks like to live the Christian life. It looks like living for the glory of God above all other things. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to have faith, is that your life is no longer your own. You live for the glory of God. And so you submit to and honor the governing authorities, even when they're not worthy because it brings glory to God. And you endure unjust suffering because it brings glory to God. And so this morning... We're going to talk about this idea of glorifying God within the context of our marriages. So I get the fun task of preaching about roles within the family, husbands and wives. I thought about making Julian preach today, but I thought, no, I guess that's a cheap shot. Funny story, actually, uh, I was talking to Brandon Hill this week, and he actually told me that one time Eric, when Eric was still here, uh, he taught the college class, and uh, he had had... Brandon teach one week, and it was this text. And he's like, I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose. I was like, he absolutely did that on purpose. Uh, all right, so let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. We'll go ahead and dive in. It says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, pure reverent lives, Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation." Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into this. Point one is this, wives, submit to your husbands. Look at verse one again. In the same way, just like we've been talking about, for the glory of God, submitting to authorities, in that same way, wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live 
when they observe your pure and reverent lives. So Peter, again, he says, in the same way. So just like we submit to human authorities, wives are also to submit to their husband. And this is not a popular opinion in our modern feminist culture. Uh, Some of you right now are on the edge of your seat deciding whether you're going to stab me on the way out. I know how some of you Southeast Texas women are. Truth is, this scripture has been applied in ways it was never meant to be applied by men who totally ignored verse 7. So let me clarify what this verse is not saying, so I can put you at ease a little bit. This is not saying men are more competent or intellectual than women. We all know that's not true. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) This is not saying men are more spiritual than women. This is not saying men are more moral than women. This is not saying all men are in authority over all women. Notice he says, your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands. Not all the husbands, your own husbands. This verse is saying that God has ordained a hierarchy for the family, and that hierarchy places the husband at the head. Um, we we kind of get this, right? We understand that there's, there's a level of an importance for having hierarchies, right? Uh, even in our military, right? If you're in the military... There's all kinds of hierarchy, right? You have to submit yourself to uh, the person that's ahead of you. Sometimes your second lieutenant might be less competent than you, but you still have to submit. Because without a hierarchy, everything would fall apart and chaos would ensue. So Paul talks about this as well when he writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, 22, verse 20, uh, 22 through 24, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So in the same way that you would submit to God himself... You submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. So Paul says again, submit to your husbands just as he, as you would God himself. Your submission to your husband shouldn't be viewed as merely submitting to your husband, but as submitting to the lordship of Christ. So people have really been trying to dance around this command for years. And they'll say things about how culture dictated this, and they'll try to dance, dance around it. Well, I agree there are cultural things at play, and we're going to talk about those in a minute. The command for wives to submit has nothing to do with culture. This is just how God defined it to be. How do I know that? Because we see the command as cross-cultural in Scripture. In fact, the desire to trash this hierarchy was warned about by God from the beginning. Look at Genesis 3.16. So at this point, God has created all things. He's created man and woman. He's defined what they can and can't do. They have sinned. They have fallen. And now he's issuing out their punishment. Verse 16, he says to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. And listen to this. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. So from the point of the fall, God warned that wives would reject the authority of their husbands. He told Eve, you're going to desire your husband's position, but it's not yours to have. So we've got all this modern day stuff where people are like, well, no, we don't have to do it. No, this is from the beginning. God warned you that, you would, that people would not want to abide by this. And so just like in the previous weeks, this is where we really need to decide if we believe this book or not. Right? Even when there's 
hard things to hear from it or things that we may not agree with, is the book truth or is it not? Don't give in to the temptation to rewrite it. Either it's true or it's not. Surrender to it or don't. There's no logic in keeping parts that you like and trashing the rest because at that point you've removed all authority and you have become your own God. Either it's all truth or none of it is. And just like in the previous two weeks, there's a reason why Peter tells wives to submit. What's the reason? It's the same as before because God can use your submission and honor to draw someone to himself. It's about his glory. You submitting yourself to your husband brings glory to God. And that should matter more to you than your own struggle and desire for independence. Peter says, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. So even if some husbands disobey the word, even if, in other words, they're lost, they're not genuinely saved, they can be won over without the wife having to say anything but simply with her pure and reverent life. That's what Peter's saying. In other words, Peter's saying that When wives submit to their husbands in humility and live with purity and reverence to God, the Holy Spirit can use her life to draw her husband to salvation. What's really happening here is she is leading her husband to salvation by means of her own testimony. And that's really been the point that Peter's been getting at. And all of these different relational things that he's been talking about, you know, the government authorities and then slaves and masters and now husbands and wives. Next week we'll talk about the church. And all of this, the encompassing idea that Peter has is that your testimony matters. It actually matters more than anything you want or desire for your own life. Your testimony and ability to point others towards Christ is what matters more than anything else because the glory of God matters more than anything else. Christians respond differently to authority and even unjust authority to enable their testimony to be used by God to bring others to faith and repentance for his glory. That's what this life is about. When you ask Jesus to be a Lord, you signed up for this. For the Christian, the glory of God is what we live for. So we're willing to endure suffering and we're willing to humbly submit to authorities if it means God is glorified. So if we have a rebellious heart towards things like this, Maybe we should really ask ourselves the question, is Jesus Lord? Or do we really believe this book at all? So Peter is saying, when wives live in purity and reverence for God and submit to their husbands, it proves the character of their faith and the power of the gospel, and that can be an open door for their unbelieving husband to get saved. He goes on. Second point is this. Wives, find your worth in God. Look at verse 3. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So we have a little girl. She is seven years old, and she is all girl. And that is foreign to me because there was no girl, like girly girl stuff in our house. I mean, my mom did her thing, but all of us guys, we were like, we, we, it, was all, it was all boys, right? It was me and Steven fighting all the time, and Dad was his, like mainly guy. And so the girly girl stuff is like completely foreign in my head. Uh, but it will like, she can get anything she wants. And if she puts her hair in the little pigtails and comes in there and says, Daddy, can I have a new car? I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, you can have one. <laughs> the other day she snuggled up next to me, and she said, Daddy, we signed her up for twirling. And she said, Daddy, um... I went to twirling class the other day, and all the other girls had a bag for their, for their t- a baton, and I didn't have a bag. I said, okay, baby, what, what bag do you want? 
If the boys would have came up and said that, I would have said, suck it up. I don't care. <laughs> but she's all girl, and she, she loves to adorn herself with external things. She loves to put makeup on. Even when she's a little bitty baby, she'd come in there and grab makeup and put it on. Uh, she loves jewelry. She loves lotions and fixing her hair up. She loves to look at herself in the mirror. She loves compliments. Um... So what Peter is saying here, he says, let, let your beauty consist of outward things. The word the CSB translates to consist is really more accurately translated merely consist. A lot of people like to get legalistic with this and say, women shouldn't fix their hair up, they shouldn't wear makeup, they shouldn't wear jewelry, all this stuff. That's not what Peter's saying. What he's saying is that you, you, you're, it's okay to wear jewelry. Do your hair up, wear nice clothes, but don't let that stuff be your primary focus. And can we just talk a moment for, about how this is not true in our modern culture? Peter's overarching idea through most of what we've been reading has been about living your life for the glory of God. It's been about killing the temptation to bring attention to yourself and living in such a way that your life brings attention to God. In other words, living for God's glory in every way, including how we present ourselves externally. We live in a culture where we're so worried about how we're perceived externally that we have technology that makes us look like someone else altogether. Right? When's the last time you sent a picture to someone without the filter on it? I mean, I would hope, guys, you're not doing that, but lady, I mean, not only do we expend so much time and energy on external beauty, but even that's not enough. We post pictures with filters also, we can get external acclamation from people we don't even really know. We're living for the likes and the comments. We want the glory. Right? And we dress for it. We, we live our lives for the glory. We, we want people to say, hey, you're beautiful. You look awesome. You're an amazing person. We want the glory. I went and ate lunch with a guy on Thursday who spent most of the lunch talking about how awesome my preaching is and how that's been impactful in his life. You know what that did to me? I am pretty awesome. <laughs> You're right, buddy. You know what? You're right. We live for that glory. We want that acclamation, right? We want that glory, and we do that, but that's not what we're created to do. We're called to bring glory to God, even in how we dress, even in how we present ourselves externally. So our dress, the way that we present ourselves, should not be a distraction. It shouldn't bring attention to ourselves. We should be constantly pointing people to Jesus. That's what your life is all about. We're dressing in a way to draw attention to ourselves. And Peter says, don't do that. Glorify God even in how you dress. Wives should be more concerned about the hidden beauty of their hearts than their perishable external beauty. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Beauty is going to come and go. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Your external beauty is fleeting. And listen to me this morning. That's not what makes you valuable. Don't focus on adorning yourself with external beauty. Don't dress for the glory. Don't seek the attention. Remember who you are. You're a daughter of the king. You don't need attention from other people. You don't need acclamation from other people because you're a daughter of the king. Your worth is in who he says you are. God made you wondrous the way that you are. Psalm 139, verse 13, for it is... It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am remarkably and wondrously made. Listen to me. 
God has made you fearfully, is how most translations translate that, fearfully and wonderfully. What does that mean? Fearfully means with precision. You are the way that you are for a reason. God created you the way that he wanted you to be. And then he declares that that's wonderful. Not only does he create you the way that he wants you to be, but he also says that is wonderful. And so there should be no drive within us to think, man, I've got to find my self-worth in the way that I look or the way that I present myself. No, your self-worth is in who God says you are, which is a daughter of the king. So don't focus on the external beauty. Focus on a gentle and quiet spirit. That's what God sees as valuable. That's what brings him glory. If you're living for his glory over your own, external beauty won't be something you exploit for your own applause. Instead, you'll focus on having a gentle and quiet spirit because that's what God says is valuable. So what does it mean to have a gentle and quiet spirit? What does it mean to be gentle and quiet? Quiet. Does that mean you have to hold your opinions in and never have a voice? No. I thought about saying yes just to be funny, but I'm actually still kind of scared about people stabbing me. No, that's crazy, right? We're going to see in verse 7 where husbands are commanded to even consider their wives as partners in life. Of course, you should have a voice in your household, but what does that mean then? So what does it mean to be gentle? Well, the word for gentleness is really just humility. So Peter, he's using the same word here that Matthew uses to describe Jesus in Matthew 21, verse 5. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the word just means humble. So (laughs) Peter's not asking you to do anything that Jesus didn't already do. Jesus humbled himself to provide atonement for our sins, and Peter is saying that same quality is what God sees as valuable. And then he says quiet. Now quiet is not about keeping your mouth shut. It's about being peaceable. That's the word that is translated as quiet here. It just means not provoking. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Peter isn't removing the wife's inherent value in the family structure. He's not taking away her voice. He's asking her to do the exact same thing husbands should be doing. Living with humility like Christ and don't stir up arguments, but relate to others peaceably. That's the call here. Peter says that's of more valuable to God of more value to God than, than focusing so much on external beauty. That's what brings glory to God. Living with humility and peaceably with others. That's what we should focus ourselves on. Not the way that we present ourselves externally, but what is our heart like? What is your heart like? That's why all of the, the, the stupid stuff that people get into where it's, you know, you know, the legalistic stuff of you can and you can't, you can and you can't, that doesn't matter. What matters is your heart because then that takes care of all the can and can'ts. So for me to come and say, well, don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that, that that accomplishes nothing. Peter's trying to address the heart, because that's what matters. If we're focusing on where our heart is, then all that other stuff takes care of itself. Next point, he says, wives, follow the examples we have in in Scripture. Verse 5. From the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear intimidation. I have a friend who owns uh, an art studio. She uh, owns and operates this kind of art school thing where she teaches kids art and 
she does kind of like uh, little painting parties where you invite people over, and you, she shows you how to paint something, and then you paint it. Well, I, like, legitimately can't write my name legibly. Like, I say that sometimes. I think you think, guys think I'm joking. No, I, like, I, li- I can't write. Like, it's terrible. My hands shake real bad, uh, and I can't write legibly at all. So uh, we decided to do this thing for the students one time, and she was like, are you going to paint? I was like, no, you you wouldn't be able to, it would just be like a, someone vomited paint on the thing. I wouldn't look good. And uh, she's like, no, you can do it. Just, just follow what I do. And so she did. She gets up there and she shows you like step by step what to do. And when it ended, I actually had something that was legible. Like you could tell what it was. And it, I mean, I wouldn't say it looked awesome. Like I wouldn't like pay money for it, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the worst. It was, it was actually somewhat decent. And it's because she gave me the example. She walked me through. Here's what it looks like to paint this picture, and that helped me. Um, Peter says, look at the past for holy women, women who put their hope in God. These women serve as examples of what this looks like. There are people that went before us that live this and show us how this looks. So wives, these are wives who submitted their husbands and walked peaceably with humility. So then Peter gives us the specific example of Sarah. And I think it's important for us to point out the fact that Sarah wasn't perfect. She wasn't perfect in this. She gets used as an example here because of the grace and mercy of God, but she failed pretty big. Some of you guys may remember she, her and Abraham were supposed to have a child. God had promised it. She got impatient, didn't trust that God was going to fulfill that promise, and she had Abraham sleep with her maidservant so that they could have a child. So she tried to take matters into her own hands and control the situation, and, uh, and then there was a whole lot of issues that, that stemmed from that, right? Well, of course, she became jealous and angry and kicked Hagar, had Abraham kick Hagar and that child out of their family, and, and they had to kind of fend for themselves. So she failed pretty significantly, yet God, she, she's still mentioned here. Why? Because God is full of grace and mercy. So you're not always going to get this right. But we mourn and hate when we don't get it right, and we walk in the Spirit so that we can get it right. So Peter mentions a couple of things about Sarah that we should emulate. First, he says, calling him Lord. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, but this is, this is just an idea of respect. Peter isn't telling wives to call their husbands Lord in 2021, although I do tell Becca a lot that she should be calling me her Lord and Master. She never does it. She usually punches me in the face when I say that, but uh, that's, that's not what... Peter's telling us that we should go around, you, 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 wives should go around calling their husbands Lord in 2021. What he is telling us is that wives should respect and honor their husbands. I feel like we do the opposite of this most times. When you watch movies or even like all the kid TV shows, you watch Disney nowadays, and the dad is either absent or a fumbling idiot. There's no honor for husbands. Wives, you want to win your husband to Christ, Peter's telling you to honor him. To honor him. Wives, honor your husband. You want to win his heart? Peter tells you to honor him. Paul talks about this as well in Ephesians 5.33. He says, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. I feel like if couples could figure that part out, it would save so much heartache. If If husbands would do their job and love their wives as they love themselves, which means sacrificially, right? We're going to take care of ourselves. We're going to consider ourselves, and we're going to get into some of that in a minute. And if wives would 
respect their husbands, there would be a lot less marital issues in the world that we live in. This command to honor your husbands is not conditional. It isn't about his worthiness to be honored. Husbands are to be honored because God said to honor them. And just like the command to love your wife sacrificially is not conditional. Husbands, your love for your wife isn't based on her worthiness to be loved in the moment. Wives are to be loved sacrificially because God said to love them. He says, do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. So what does that mean? Well, do, do what is good. We get that in context. He's, he's talking about uh, exactly what we've been going through, submitting to, honoring your husband with humility and peaceableness. Peter says, do that without fear and intimidation. What does that mean? This is where the historical context matters. So during this period of time, women did not have rights. When they were a young girl, they were legally controlled by their, by their father. Once they entered into a marital relationship, they were legally uh, controlled by their husband. So they did not have legal rights at this point. If a wife were to denounce her husband's religion and surrender to Jesus, this was not an easy decision. This came with great cost. So for a wife to come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord and surrender her life to Jesus, if her husband wasn't saved, that is a hard decision to make because it would have been viewed as an embarrassment to her husband and he would have been very angry. So Peter is encouraging these women to handle this situation or or encouraging these women on how to handle this situation. That's why there's six verses written to women and only one to men. It's not that Peter was this chauvinistic jerk. It's that women had a lot harder of a time following Jesus in this period of time than men. And so there was a lot more encouragement that women needed than men. The Bible isn't written to give moral commands to lost people. It's written to change lives and give Christians a moral framework. This is what the Christian life should look like. So it would have been pointless for Peter to write to these lost husbands on how to treat their wives with love and mercy for denouncing his religion. They're lost. Right? They're not going to get that. It makes no sense for Peter to say, all right, you lost husbands, you guys be nice when your wife chooses to surrender their life to Jesus. They don't care. They don't believe in Jesus. So why would Peter spend the time to write to these guys? Because it makes no sense. So he spends a lot of time writing to women to encourage them on how to win over their husbands. And so he gives six verses to women and one verse to the husbands. So Peter's saying, do what's right and don't fear the intimidation your lost husband may try to bring. Stay the course so that you can prove the substance of your faith and the power of the gospel. He's saying if you can submit and show honor even when your husband is being a jerk, your submission, honor, humility, and peaceableness can be used by God to call him to salvation. And that's what matters. We're living for the glory of God. We're living for the glory of God. We're living to build God's kingdom. And God will be glorified. That's that's what your life is supposed to be about. So we've talked about wives. Now let's talk about husbands. It's a lot easier for me. Verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Uh, when I turned 16, I went and got a job. Um, I worked in fast food, and uh, I was this naive little 16-year-old church boy. I grew up in church and uh, hadn't really seen a lot of the world at that point, other than the little bit of stuff you see at school. And uh, one night, my first Friday night 
shift, everybody starts talking about the rave that they're going to after the shift and all the drugs that they've got with them that they're going to do. And I remember just being like, oh, man, these people are fired. That manager walks in here, she's going to get them, right? Thinking, man, they're in trouble. And uh, about that time, about the time I'm, th- I'm, I'm thinking that, she comes around the corner. I was like, there it is. That's it. They're gone. It's just going to be me and this manager flipping burgers next week. And, uh, and she's, she doesn't come in and start to yell at them. She comes in. She's like, all right, so as soon as we leave here, we're going over to this place, and I've got this stuff in my car. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Even the manager? Even her? I can't believe it. She was a terrible leader, right? She was a terrible leader. She got fired for it. Um, Peter tells wives that husbands are the leaders of the household. Now in verse 7, he tells husbands to lead well. Men, husbands, you're the leader of your household. Peter says lead well. Lead well. Well, I mentioned earlier about how husbands aren't honored in our modern culture. You know whose fault that is? Husbands. That's your fault. Because you've not led well. We've got a bunch of 12-year-old boys with no self-control living inside the bodies of grown men. We've redefined manhood to drinking beer, having sex, and being irresponsible. In other words, we've redefined manhood to having no control over self. We've called weakness strength and strength weakness. You know how easy it is to ignore responsibility, drown your insecurities and booze and sleep with anybody that will let you sleep with them? You know how easy that is? That's not manhood, it's boyhood and it's weakness and it's definitely not Christian. A real man can control his desires, accepts responsibility and works to provide for his family. Peter says lead well. Christian men deviate from the culture of weakness and stand strong in the spirit of God. Lead your family to Christ. That's your job. If, you, if you're a Christian here this morning, your job is to lead your family to Christ. That's more important than anything else that you do. It's more important than putting food on the table. It's more important than providing for your family. The most important thing that you do as the leader of your household is to point your family to Jesus. It's the most important thing that you do. Peter says, lead well. It's not your wife's job to get your family to church. It's not your wife's job to make sure your family is being discipled. It's not your wife's job to set priorities for your family. It's your job. And listen, there are men here because your wife either begged you or forced you to come and let me provoke you to wake up and realize that if that is true and there's no conviction for it, then there is a good chance that you are not a Christian. And I know that sounds hard to say, it sounds like, man, that is, that's some really hard lines, Daniel. I don't know that you should be so black and white on that issue. But let me tell you, the scripture's clear. You can't call yourself a Christian and be apathetic towards the things of God. You can't. The Spirit of God was within you. It wouldn't allow for that. The Spirit convicts us of sin. So what does Peter say it looks like to lead well? First, he talks about consideration. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, you need to love your wives. Your wife's probably really different than you. Seems like that's always the case, right? It's always like the opposites that get together. 
One of our biggest issues early on in our marriage was that I worked a lot of hours. I was up here all the time. I I love working at the church. I love being up here. And be honest with you, I could be up here every minute of every day. And even when I go home, I think about it. I just, I, I love my job. I love being here. I love church work. But early on in our marriage, that was, that was a little bit of an issue. Becca didn't understand why I would like to be up here at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. And I had to realize that working like that, that affects your spouse. And you should think about how your decisions and the way that you live your life affects your spouse. You consider her, you love her, you think of her, right? What's, a lot of people think the opposite of love is hate. I think the opposite of love is apathy. Like you don't even consider the person, you don't think about how they feel or, or how they would interpret something. We should be constantly considering how our decisions and how we live our life, how that affects our spouse. That's what love is. If you're only thinking about things from your perspective, that's called selfishness. So if your wife needs flowers to be loved, love her in that way. Consider her. Love her the way that she needs to be loved. If your wife needs time to feel loved, if she needs you to spend time with her, then then love her in that way. If your wife needs help around the house to feel loved, love her in that way. Humble yourself enough to realize that love is not about you, it's about the other person. Get over yourselves and make the effort to live with her in an understanding way. That's what love is. He also talks about chivalry, protection. He says, as with the weaker partner. So again, Peter's point isn't that women are weaker intellectually or spiritually. In In general, men are physically stronger than women. Now, I'm sure there's some of you ladies that could probably beat the snot out of me, but in general, men are stronger than women. And as a stronger partner, it's, it's the man's job to protect his family. It's our job to provide security and safety. A husband should never deviate from that reality. Your job is to protect your family. And he also talks about companionship and honor, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Peter says, leading well isn't lording over your spouse. So yes, husbands are the head of the household, but you don't, you don't take that position and lord it over your wife. Anybody ever had a boss that was a my way or the highway kind of guy? I've had a couple. You know what? I quit. Because who wants to work for a jerk like that? Right? My way or the highway is not humility. Now, I get in the end, someone's got to be in charge, right? Someone's got to make the final decision, and according to Peter and much of Scripture, that falls on the husband in this particular circumstance. But to lord that over is not leading well. Your wife is your partner, not someone for you to lord over or someone for you to ignore, but someone for you to do life with. I get so sad sometimes where I, I hear of stories where like husbands and wives, they just can't stand each other. They don't want to really like spend time with each other. Um, I, I've hung out with uh, guys who are like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go home. My wife's there. I'm like, man, that's so sad. Like, my wife's my best friend. I I want to spend time with my wife. And that's how it should be, because you're doing life together. You should want to spend time with your wife. You should spend time with her and love her and consider her a partner. Put down the remote and partner with your wife to serve God and disciple your family. Good leaders are servants, not authoritarians. 
It's time for Christian husbands to take this role seriously. It's time for Christian husbands to stop being passive or apathetic in their role as spiritual leader and assume that position with strength, sacrifice, and humility. Listen, your wife shouldn't have to beg you to come to church. Nor should your kids have a choice in the matter. A lot of people, man, they drop the ball on that one. They let their kids decide what's important. We don't do that with school, right? Your kid get up in the morning and you're like, you know what? I'm just not feeling it today. I think I'm going to stay home. Or I, I just don't have any, I don't really like connect with anybody at school, so I think I'm just going to stay at home today. No, we, we, we have declared that education is a priority, so we make our kids go to school. But then when we come to church, we're like, well, you know, he just just doesn't like anybody, he doesn't have any friends, and he just he doesn't, he doesn't like the church thing, so we don't want to force it on him. You're the disciple of your family. It's your job. It's your job to make sure that your child is being discipled. That's your role as the father of your house is to make sure that your kids are being discipled and coming to church and growing in spiritual disciplines, reading their Bible, spending time in the Word. If you're not doing it, they're not doing it. Lead well. That's the command that Peter's given husbands. You're the spiritual leader. And so if your family falls apart spiritually, that rests on you. It's not your wife's job. It's your job. According to Scripture, biblical manhood is being the spiritual leader of your household. And that means that you disciple your family well. That means that you teach your kids the Bible. Listen to me. What happens over there is awesome but it is not sufficient for your child's spiritual well-being. It's not. They get like maybe two hours a week. You have them the rest of the time, and then on top of that, they're being bombarded eight hours a week with pagan theology, with people saying God doesn't exist and all of this other stuff. Do you think they have any hope, any hope of staying true to their faith if that's all they get? The answer is no. The answer is no. You have to be intentional about feeding your children the word of God. That's something you need to be doing at your house. That's something you need to be living out, right? If you're constantly saying, did you read your Bible? Did you read your Bible? Did you pray? And you're not reading your Bible and praying, you're not not accomplishing anything. Lead your family well. Be a spiritual leader. You make sure they understand the value of spiritual disciplines, reading their Bible, praying, giving, coming to church, all of those things. You make sure, most importantly, that they understand the gospel. All of these other things that we're talking about are like symptoms, right? Coming to church and all that, that in and of itself doesn't accomplish anything. What we're talking about is living for the glory of God. And if you do that in your own life, in every aspect of your life, your kids are going to see that. They're going to see that the gospel's real, and they're going to want what you have, and they're not going to deviate from it in most instances. It's your job as the husband to lead your family well. So what's the point of all this? Your testimony matters more than your own comfort or freedom. That's the point of the text. Your testimony matters more than your own comfort and freedom. Your primary focus in glorifying God, and the way that we do that is by giving our life completely to him to be used by him to draw others to himself. That's what your life should be about. Not your own comforts, not your own ideology, not what you think is right or wrong, the glory of God. If I could get you to understand anything else in your life as your pastor, 
that would be it. Live your life for the glory of God. Live your life for the glory of God. Don't worry about what you want. Don't worry about what you think is right. Don't worry about your own emotions, your own hesitations, your own fears, your own insecurities. Live your life for the glory of God. And what does that look like? To be a wife and live for the glory of God in your marital relationship? It looks like submitting to and honoring your husbands with humility and peaceableness. What does it look like to live for the glory of God as a husband in the marital relationship? It looks like leading well with consideration, chivalry, and companionship. So if this isn't something you're doing, I'd ask you to evaluate your heart. Because again, there's no point in just changing behavior. Behavior modification is not the goal, right? We can try to fix our behavior and then we kind of veer off the path. I think we need to stop worrying about symptoms and start worrying about the heart. Why is it that you have no desire to do things that God has deemed as important? Why is it that you have no desire to spend time in the Word with your family? Why is it that you have no desire to pray with your family? Why is it that you have no desire to ensure that your family is in Christ-centered community? Not just church, but Christ-centered community. The Word of God declares that living in Christ-centered community is important. It's what helps us walk this Christian life. It's accountability. It's all the things that are important. Why is it that we aren't doing these things? I would contend that, for one, it's that we're focused on ourselves and not the glory of God. If we're not living for the glory of God, then of course none of these things are going to happen. What matters most to you? In this life, what matters most to you? Is it God's glory? Or is it yourself? Are you living for the glory of God? Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Here's what I think the truth is. I think nine out of ten of us guys in here, we're not where we need to be as the leaders of our homes. I could be wrong. Maybe it's not that much. But I feel like it's probably a pretty significant number. We may make sure that we're at church, but our priorities are off. We're not living for the glory of God. We're not making sure that we're pointing our family towards living for the glory of God. So here's the beauty of all of this. Is yeah, that may be true about us, and hopefully we're feeling convicted about it. But the beauty of the gospel is that God's arms are always wide open, ready for offer you forgiveness, ready to sanctify you, change your heart. And so through repentance and faith, we can 
we can get it right. We have an opportunity to start fresh. And so if that's you this morning, if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, really, I'm not really living this as a husband, then I would challenge you to do just that. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask him to change your heart. And use this moment of conviction as an opportunity to repent and enter into a relationship with him. Use this as an opportunity to get it right. You, you can't get it right in your own strength. You can only get it right through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, there's not a man in here that's strong enough to, to actually walk this out the way that God wants us to walk it out. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to rest in that. We've got to focus our hearts on what really matters and do things that strengthen the Spirit in our, in our own lives. We need to be discipled. A lot of men have been saved, but they've never been discipled. We need men to be discipled. And so that's you, step one. Ask God to change your heart. Repent of not leading well. And start getting in the Word. Start spending time in prayer. Ask for help. Ladies, we've got a lot of people in our culture today focused on the wrong things. We're trying to adorn ourselves with external beauty. We're worried about how people perceive us, and that's what is always on our mind. What are people going to think about me? What is, what, how do I look in this picture? Do I need to, do I need to delete that picture because I look weird? I mean, it's just this constant like drive to make sure that our external perception is is where we want it. That's not that's not our focus. Shouldn't be. Our focus should be the glory of God. And God says that. What he sees valuable is humility and peaceableness. So if that's not true about you, same is true. I I would say God offers grace and mercy. Repent of that and ask him to change your heart. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you realize you've never truly surrendered to him, there's no evidence of faith, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to truly give your heart to Jesus in a moment, the band's going to sing, and there'll be a couple of people standing down here in front. They would love to talk to you about that. So I'm going to pray for us, and we'll allow God to work however he wants to work during this time. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for grace and mercy that when we don't get it right, you offer forgiveness. You offer it second chances and third chances and fourth chances for us to figure this thing out. So God, I pray that those of us in here who know that we're know, know that we've given our lives to you, know that we've surrendered our hearts to you and that there's evidence of that there's the Holy Spirit within us, we know that we see the fruit of that but yet, maybe we're failing in some of these areas, God I pray that as your spirit is moving this in this time that, that we would repent of that, and we would allow your spirit to sanctify us in truth God I pray that if anybody here doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that in this moment they would choose to surrender. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.